So there are things that we humans cannot completely understand, and we're going to deal with some of those when we get into Romans 9 here. The, um, there, there, we'll talk about that as we, as we move into 9. Chapter 9 is clearly a break uh, from Paul uh, in, in this letter. Uh, remember, the letter was written uh, you know, and delivered to Rome, uh, maybe by Phoebe, and uh, Paul wrote this letter and, at, uh, and sent it, never was able to get to Rome. Um, Ty and I have talked before. Uh, we, we forget, sitting in a Sunday school class, that uh, this letter was probably just writ, written to a house. They were in a house sitting around and reading it. And so when they hear these things, maybe for the first time, and the things that we're going to talk about before, you know, the just shall live by faith and and uh, and all that we've learned so far, and that uh, the uh, it has to take. We have to put ourselves in their shoes to think about how you comprehend all that, because many of these are new truths to the church to the uh, at Rome, and so uh, for us, we kind of take that for granted as we're sitting here. Um, there's a clear break, as I said. Uh, the first eight chapters really focus on God's grace. Uh, to all people, uh, and that comes by faith alone. We've, we've seen that, uh, and we'll talk about that a little later, but Paul's hammered that point home, the just shall live by faith, the just shall live by faith, a, a quote from Habakkuk in the Old Testament, and he uh, forces that. He shows how the Jews, uh, trying to fulfill the law, could, not, could never fulfill the law perfectly, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit this morning, about they, that it's only through faith, only through faith, faith alone. And he keeps hammering that point. Uh, in chapters 9, 10, and 11, Paul is going to take a, a change of focus here. And he's going to talk about the future plans of Israel, the nation of Israel as a, as a nation. So when we talk about Israel, we're talking about the, the nation of Israel. When we use the term Jews or Jewish, we, we use those that are changeably or synonymous with each other. So... Um, but the, the uh, background is Abraham uh, was called, and, um, and then he had two sons. We actually had a lot more sons, but the ones that we deal with in the scripture is Ishmael. The promise did not come through Ishmael, but it came through Isaac. And then Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. And we'll see that as we get into this chapter, that these are specifically mentioned. And then the promise comes through Jacob, and then, of course, the 12 tribes come out of Jacob, not necessarily his 12 sons, but the 12 tribes come out of Jacob. It's also interesting to remember as we talk about God's sovereign grace and election, when we talk about Esau and Jacob, that Abraham had two brothers that we know about, and it is God that called Abraham, not his two brothers. So we'll see God's hand as he's directing in history, but as he's also bringing together a people. Um, Paul also would deal with a question uh, that certainly arose in the early church, uh, that if all these promises to the Jews that are Israel uh, are, are, are to Israel, how can Paul say in chapter 10, verse 12, uh, Paul asked this question in context, and Ty will be teaching 12, but we'll get there. He says, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is over all is rich to all a call upon his name. And then, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
So many Jews in the first century were thinking to themselves, all these promises are for us. How can Paul, the apostle, say it's for everybody or open up the promises to everybody or many of these promises? Um, Turn back to Romans chapter 2 a minute, verse 25. And um, let me just read a section here because I think we need the context of where we're going. Um, Romans 2, verse Verse 25, he says, uh, Paul, this is Paul writing, he says, For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you break, or you're breakers of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcised. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his circumcision be counted as just circumcision? It means nothing. And will not his physical uncircumcision, if he fulfills the law, judge you? who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law. And then Paul goes on, he says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcised, that is, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. So in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men but from God. So Paul makes this distinction here between the true Jews and the false Jews. And he says in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Then what advantage then has the Jew or what profit of circumcision much in every way, chiefly because to them is committed the oracles of God. And so he's kind of going to review part of that here in chapter 9. He's going to pick that subject up again. But again, there's a distinction between true Israel and and, and Israel as a nation. And so uh, and that's important. Any, any comments or thoughts on that? Because it's hard for us to distinguish at times the difference. Okay. So um, the, uh, Paul will also deal with the fact that some of the Jews have already been je- rejected and that uh, this is, this is going to be a difficult for the Jews to accept um, as I said before, Paul dealt with the subject, circumcision of the flesh did not make you a child of God. It is circumcision uh, of the heart. And that's what Paul is going to come back to here in chapter 9. Uh, Paul also makes it clear in chapters 3, verses 3 and 4, uh, that some Jews uh, don't believe the gospel of, of Christ, uh, but God is still faithful. So the argument was in chapter 3, if if God gave all these promises to Israel and some of them didn't reject, reject it, then how can God be faithful? And Paul dealt with that in chapter 3, and that, and that God is still faithful because some of the Jews will be saved and not all. In chapter 9 here, he's going to kind of pick that subject up again and carry it on uh, through. And so just because you were born a Jew uh, doesn't make you necessarily a son of God. And so that's the distinction we have to, as a true believer, you can be born in a Jewish nation as a, as a child of Abraham, but it doesn't make you by nature a child of God. Um, turn John to John chapter 8 with me. And uh, Jesus dealt with this very subject in the, uh, while he was here on earth. And I'm sure it's a familiar passage to you. John 8, verse 31. We'll just kind of skip through some of this here. 
assume familiarity. In verse 31, Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Notice the Jews believed in Jesus. They had to place faith. They had to be saved by faith. Just because they were a Jew didn't make them a child of God. Then in verse 33, they answered him and said, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say that you have been made free? So the unbelieving Jews are standing there listening to what Jesus said. They said, By the way, we're Abraham's uh, child. We've never been in bondage. Of course, they forgot about Egypt, obviously. And then Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but the son abides forever. And then if the son makes you free, you are free indeed. And jump down into uh, verse 44, or verse 42, And Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceedeth forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he who sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because, listen to this, because you are not able to listen to my words. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. These are Jews by birth that are unbelieving Jews. And Jesus, and they're thinking to themselves, because they're Abraham's child, that they are automatically sons of the kingdom. And Jesus says, not only are you not sons of the kingdom, you're actually sons of the devil yourself, your father the devil. He is a murderer from the beginning, nor does uh, he not stand for the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks, he speaks a lie. So Jesus is condemning the, the national Jews here. And then verse 40, uh, look at verse 47. He who is of God hears God's word. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. And so he lays this this uh, condemnation on the Jews as, as an ethnic group. And he says, just because you were born a son of Abraham and came not from Ishmael but from Isaac and through Jacob and the 12 sons does not make you a child of the kingdom. You have to be justified by faith. And so Paul is going to kind of deal with that same subject here. There was this mentality that the Jews thought, and certainly amongst the Pharisees, that they were automatically sons of God. And, uh, and we know from the New Testament that is not true. So um, as far back as Genesis 12, when God called Abraham uh, as the father of, of the Israelites, uh, the Jews have received many blessings, privileges, and promises. And Paul's going to bring them up today. We're going to talk about that in the next few weeks. Um, but uh, Paul's also going to deal with the issues in chapter 9 through 11 uh, that, uh, about Israel and what the future is. Now, part of this is going to depend on chapter 11, what your eschatology is and how you're bent toward uh, what it means that all Israel will be saved in the end. We'll, we'll talk about that when we get to chapter 11. But again, 9, 10, and 11 go together, and so keep that uh, in mind as a unit. Um, there's two issues that will become clear. Uh, first, uh, there's the rejection of the Jews to the call of God and his gospel. Paul's going to make that clear. We're going to deal with that here in a little bit. That's, keep that in mind, that the Jews have rejected the gospel, that they had all these blessings, but they turned uh, a heart. Paul dealt with the with the uh, in 
in early Romans with the idea that men, all men are without excuse because of natural revelation. Here is specific revelation given to the Jews, and yet they as a people, for the most part, have rejected the gospel. And then um, if you look at chapter nine or look look at chapter nine of Romans verse six, we see a part of that. He says here, but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel that are Israel. So Paul points out very quickly as he opens this chapter that there are some that are Israel, but some that claim to be Israel that really aren't uh, Israel. And so uh, that's talking about true Israel. And then the second thing we'll see is the truth that God will save and reject some Jews as he rejects and saves some Gentiles. We're going to dig deep into the sovereignty of God in this chapter. And quite frankly, it's, um, it's, it's some of it's very hard to understand. It's almost uh, to me like uh, Moses standing on holy ground. It's, it's deep subjects. And, and, uh, and so I wrote up here, um, uh, God is not the author of sin. Keep that in mind when we go through Romans 9 because there's some passages that we're going to deal with that are difficult, but we have to go back to the beginning that God is not the author of sin, and uh, it can't be. He will save some, reject others. That's going to be clear, but they are still going to be responsible. And so um, the good news is for us Gentiles is that God and, and, and Paul's going to deal with that in chapter 11, that God, as it were, set aside the Jews for a while and came to the Gentiles. And that's where we come into the picture. We weren't in that living room and, and, uh, in Romans when Paul, when, in Rome when Paul wrote this letter. But here we are. We've heard the gospel because, uh, in, in part, because of the rejection of the Jews, the gospel has now come uh, to the Gentiles. Uh, turn to one more passage, 1 Thessalonians 2. Uh, Paul uh, uh, carries this theme. I want you to see this theme is common throughout uh, the New Testament here. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 16. Uh, Paul, Paul writes, For this reason I also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as the truth, the word of God, which also affectionately works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the church of God, which is at Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen. Who do you think that is? The Jews, right? You also suffered your same thing from your own countrymen, as did they in Judea. Now look at verse 15 who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles, that's us, that they may be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sin, but the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. I tell you, that's some deep stuff. Um, and so uh, if, if you're a Jew and you're in, uh, a son of Abraham by birth, um, Paul has some really difficult things to say here uh, to the Jews. The, uh, notice the phrase here, 
but the wrath has come upon them to the utmost. They fill up the measure of their sin. Does that remind you of anything else early in Romans? Ty, you remember? Romans 2? Is it what? Yes. Do you remember what it says? Yeah, that there's unbelievers that are heaping up wrath on the day of wrath. How that works, I don't exactly know. But somehow in God's account, that if you keep on sinning and keep on sinning and keep on rejecting God and keep on rejecting God, is God sovereign? Yes. Can we be saved without God's sovereignty? No. Are you responsible? Yes. And if you keep rejecting the call of the gospel and keep rejecting it, you're building up wrath until the day of wrath. And so um, both are true, right? Both are true, and we have to deal uh, somehow down the middle with these truths. So anyway, any, uh, I'm doing some introductory comments here. Uh, any, any comments or questions on Romans 9 or what we've talked about so far? Tim? Yeah. Yeah, and we'll see here, uh, we'll, we'll see here early on, Paul loves the Jews, and he has this deep desire to see them come to Christ, and, uh, and he is a sovereign grace, as there are sovereign grace. Get to chapter 10, tie a deal with this, but there's the, there's the call of the gospel, how shall they hear without a preacher, right? And, and it's, so we have, a re- we have a responsibility even as believers to go out and spread the gospel, but you're right, Tim. How that all works together, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. When we get into the fact that of, about Pharaoh here later on in the chapter, there's some hard and difficult things to understand. But again, God's sovereign. He's never the author of sin. He cannot be the author of sin. If he is, he's not holy, and he would, he would, uh, he would violate his own uh, holiness. So. All right, uh, before we look at Romans 9 again uh, in detail, let me just remind us all um, we're going to deal with several difficult subjects, as I've already said. Uh, one will be that God loves one and hates another. We'll see that when we get to Esau. It's not just that God loves one a little more. I love, but God, he clearly says, I love Jacob and hate Esau. And so we'll deal uh, with that. And you keep that in mind and pray uh, for your teacher here as uh, we get through these. Um, We will also uh, see God's sovereign election of one and uh, his hardening of another. Uh, He clearly says he hardened, uh, that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Uh, We will also see God's favor towards the Gentiles as Israel rejects the true Messiah. And so there are some great truths here. uh, and, and as I said, we can never make the mistake and put God as the author of sin. Uh, James 1.13 is very clear about that, that God is too holy even to look upon uh, sin. And so Paul's already established in Romans 3 that there are none righteous, no, not one. Uh, in Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we're dealing with the, the whole world is under condemnation. But Paul now in Romans 9, 10, and 11 is going to deal with just the Jews themselves. So let's turn back to Romans 9, uh, verse 1. Um, 
Samuel, would you mind reading verses 1 through 6 for us, please? Or verses 1 through 5. I have no chance of making it that far, so go ahead, 1 through 5. So it's certainly clear from Romans, as we've been going through this, that, and, and even uh, you'll see here in Romans 9, that uh, the Apostle Paul knew without a doubt that God had removed his blessing uh, from the Jewish people. Uh, it was the Jews that, that, that crucified Christ, also Pontius Pilate. Uh, in verse 1, uh, many think that there's a statement, notice in verse 1 here, uh, there's a statement, I tell you the truth in Christ, I am not lying. Many believe that this statement um, by Paul should be viewed as an oath, that he's making an oath. It's like he's, he's, picture him holding his hand up and say, I swear to you before God or before Christ that I'm telling you the truth. It's, it's almost as though he's standing in a courtroom. He's so concerned that the readers will not uh, feel the depth and the brevity of his sincerity. He says before Christ... Uh, that is, Christ is the, is the witness of his motives. He said, my motives are pure. I stand here in the presence of Christ, that my motives are pure. And then he even appeals to this conscious and the Holy Spirit or enlightened by the Holy Spirit. Certainly, conscious can be a good thing. Our conscience can be seared. But Paul says, in the Holy Spirit, or my conscience has even been enlightened by the Holy Spirit. I stand here with a pure heart telling you uh, what I'm about to tell you. And so in light about what he's about to say uh, concerning the uh, rejection of the Jews, Paul wants to make it clear that he still has this deep love for the Jews. He's going to go in and say, here's the Jews have rejected Christ. However, I want you to know personally that I have this deep desire to see them saved. I have this deep desire to see them come to Christ. Um, and that he has this love for the Jews. We'll see in verses 2 and 3 uh, the magnitude of that love. Um, Paul is, uh, in Romans 11, it's, it's interesting here, because he has this great desire to see the Jews saved, but what is Paul known for? The, the apostle to who? The apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, he makes mention of this in Romans eleven thirteen, in the same context here, uh, Paul says uh, this, For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. So even though he has this great desire, he's apostle to the Gentiles. Why is he apostle to the Gentiles? Because at his conversion, remember, in Acts chapter 9, God made him an apostle to the Gentiles. Paul, he says, you shall be an apostle, you will be before kings and all my nations. And so Paul is following God's will, and he's going to the Gentiles, and he's bringing them out. In Galatians, uh, uh, Galatians chapter uh, 
let me see if I can find it. Chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, Paul says, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son to me that I might preach him amongst the Gentiles. Amongst the Gentiles. So God, Paul has this great love. He was a Jew. He knew all about the Jews. But yet God sends him to the Gentiles. And so we kind of have this, uh, this, uh, this uh, balance here between Paul's love for the Jews, but yet his command by God to go to the Gentiles. And thank God for our sake uh, that he did that. Uh, so look at verse 2, Romans 9, 2. Um, it says, For I could not wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren and my countrymen. How much did Paul love the Jews? Uh, a lot, really. I, I don't even think you can put a quantify this. Uh, he knew uh, that they were that they hated him, that they had stoned him, they had tried to kill him, they had run him out of town, and it was all the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, in in Corinth uh, and at other places they tried to stone him. But Paul says these amazing words in Romans here too. He says, I have great sorrow and continued grief in my heart. And then uh, and he's going to carry that on in verse 3. Um, he was actually one of these, Rosny, until the Damascus Road, until God sovereignly saved him in uh, Acts chapter 9. Paul was one of these uh, Jews, these zealous Jews uh, that were trying to kill uh, Jesus. And so he knew uh, that a large portion of the uh, Jewish nation would be condemned, uh, and yet um, God is still sovereign in all this. And so in verse 3, he continues, For I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren and my countrymen. Oh, man, you need to really see this verse in light of Paul's love for the Jews. The, um, his passion for their souls along with the great wrath that they would incur. Paul is also very cognizant that the more they reject God, the more they build up wrath for the day of wrath. They continue to build wrath. But Paul also says, I wish that I myself could be accursed, that I I love the Jews so much that I wish that even my own uh, self, uh, if it were possible. So the word uh, accursed here in verse 3 uh, it's the word we get our word anathema from. It's used in uh, Galatians chapter 1, 8, 9, the same word. Paul says, if myself or even an angel from God bring in another gospel, let them be anathema, let them be accursed. And so Paul is uh, saying that if it's possible, if it were even possible, as much as the Jews have persecuted me, as much as they've tried to kill me, as much as they've tried to... Uh, run me out of town if it were possible. If I could take their place, I would do it. I would do it. Um, I just want to remind us that somehow we get really, we get really busy in life, and we look around and we forget that we need to have a compassion for the lost. There needs to be that in us. That whether it's the Jews or Gentiles, whether it's the those that aren't like us, that have even tried to harm us. That's why Paul's going to deal with loving your enemies later on here in Romans. Paul 
had understood it. And so I just remind us this morning that for us just to reevaluate where we're at, do we have this compassion for the loss? Because it's certainly something that we need to, uh, uh, to uh, examine in our own lives. The, um, Paul was so willing, uh, Paul said, if it were even possible that I would take the place uh, of the Jews. Um, the uh, Barnes in his notes says, we should understand this as a statement, like something like this, I do wish if it were possible. So Paul's not saying under God that I can do it. He's saying I love them so much that if it was possible that I could uh, even uh, myself do that. Um, by the way, Paul uses the same word anathema in 1 Corinthians uh, and I hope this is a familiar verse to all of us. Uh, if you think that just the Jews are accursed, uh, listen what he says in verse 22 of 1 Corinthians 16. If anyone, that's anyone sitting in church, right? If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. And so there's a warning for all of us here. Do we love the Lord Jesus Christ uh, as, uh, as we as we ought. The, um, before we look at verse 4, uh, there's a parallel to this in the Old Testament. Anybody remember that, what that is? Yeah, you, give us the context there. Is responsible. Yeah, Exodus 32, you can look it up later. I think it's 32, chapter 32, 32, and 33. But Moses is interceding. The people had sinned, uh, and uh, God was going to said, I'm going to wipe the whole bunch of you out. And Moses says, oh, Lord, I don't. And, then it, and like Tim said, I'll, I'll take their place. Kill me. Blot me out, as it were, from the life, but save the people. And, uh, and God says, no. Whoever sinned is responsible for their sin. So um, verses 4 and 5 here, uh, see what Paul says. For who are the Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants? He's going to list five or six things here. Uh, Paul starts off with a question, who are the Israelites? Who, who are the Israelites? I hope you know this. We talked about it. Who are they? They're sons of Abraham, right? We looked at it before. They're not from Ishmael. They are from the son. Uh, Galatians calls Isaac the son of promise. And so they come through Isaac. Then they, uh, Isaac has twins. Promise comes to Jacob, who's actually the younger. And then down through uh, the 12, which we get the 12 tribes from. So that's who, when we talk about the Israelites, who are the Israelites? Uh, they are sons of Abraham but not all the sons of Abraham. By the way, if you go back and look, Abraham had a lot more children, uh, and so did Jacob, actually, uh, here. Um, uh, or I, no, I'm sorry, so did Isaac later on. Uh, but God worked through those two, two groups there. So who are the Israelites? Um, we'll see the, uh, the answer is certainly they are sons of Abraham or descendants of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob. Um, in Genesis chapter 32, look at Genesis chapter 32. 
so you understand why we're using these words. In Genesis 32, the, the word um, Jacob here, chapter 32, verse 28, uh, God is, and Jacob are wrestling, and in verse 28 he says, your name, this is God, says your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. And so God changes Jacob's name to Israel. And so that's when Paul says, who are the Israelites? They are sons of Jacob, who is a son of Isaac, who's a son of Abraham. And so when we talk about the nation of Israel today, they are descendants of Jacob, the, 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 the right of, of Jacob. And I think Jacob means like struggling with God or, or wrestling with God. I think that's what the word Jacob means. Um, or struggling with God. So when we talk about the Jews or the Jewish people, Israel, that's, that's how we get uh, the particular term. So any thoughts or comments before we move on here? Yes. Yeah, I, I, was, I think that's a great parable, parallel. I, in Jesus' case, he's lamenting. In Paul's case, he's saying, if it were possible, I would spend eternity in hell if you would save the Jews. And I dare say that there's a parent here that has a lost child that doesn't understand the depths of Paul's teaching, right? The depths of that, the love for your child, uh, especially if you have a wayward child, that uh, you, you can understand. Paul had that same passion for the Jews as a, as a whole. So it's deep. It's really, it's a deep love for the lost. Okay. Um, in verses 4 and 5, Paul's going to, he's list out several blessings and privileges. We'll just look at some of those. Um, to the people of Israel, the Jews. And so uh, uh, he says, who are the Jews? Uh, they are my countrymen. They, are, uh, they have received these promises. He starts out with first uh, the adoption. Uh, adoption. We've heard the word adoption earlier in, in Romans. This is a different adoption. Uh, if you turn back to chapter 8, like a couple pages to eight, chapter 8, verse 15, Ty talked about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, he's, uh, I, I got a page break here. For uh, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So this is the adoption of salvation. This is the adoption into God's kingdom. This is, makes you, now are we the sons of God, as John would say. This is, uh, this is the privileges of adoption. In the case here in chapter 4, nine of Romans, Paul is not saying it's the same adoption. The adoption he's talking about here is not the adoption of salvation, but it's in view of God selecting the Jews as a nation. God picked the Jews as a nation out of all the other nations 
and made them set his blessing upon him. So it's a general election or a general adoption of a nation. Uh, look at, um, uh, let's just look at a couple verses. We've seen this in chapter, look back at chapter 2, uh, verse 28 and 29. Paul's already dealt with this. Uh, verse 28, for he is not a Jew who is outwardly, nor is he circumcised in which he is outwardly in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly in circumcision of the heart. So Paul's already kind of dealt with us. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 7 uh, in, in context of what Paul's saying here. Deuteronomy 7. Remember, again, this is not an adoption to salvation. This is an adoption out of other nations to uh, receive God's blessing. In chapter Deuteronomy 7, 7, The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor chose you, because you were more in number than the other people, nor were you the least of the people, but because the Lord loves you and because he would keep his oath, which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out of the mighty hand and redeemed you from the house and the bondage from the hand of Pharaoh of Egypt. So God, in eternity past and in time with Abraham, when he calls Abraham, separates Abraham from his brothers and from his two brothers and brings him. And from that time on, God has called Israel. He's adopted them. He's decided to make a people called the Jews, the children of Israel, for himself. And he's decided to reveal blessings through them. Uh, ultimate blessing, we'll talk about it later, but it's, it's, the, it's the Messiah, Jesus Christ, comes through him. So he says here, uh, the blessings of God, uh, you can look up also uh, Hosea 11, verse 1, uh, when you get uh, time today. And then he says the glory, he says the glory, what do you think the glory refers to? What would that refer to? What he says, the what? Uh, yeah, I, 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 maybe later, but what, when he says you've received the glory, what would that be? Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is, the Shekinah glory that came down at the, at the, at when uh, Solomon dedicated the temple. It's also the light that separated the day and night from the, when they were coming out of Egypt. And so there was this, this presence of God that no other nation had. God didn't bring his as it were, his Shekinah, his glory down into the tabernacle of, of, of Babylon or to Rome or to Greece or to the, uh, any other of these nations, but he set it on Israel himself. Um, and uh, I think you can see that. Second Chronicles uh, 7, verses 1 and 2, Solomon speaks specifically of that. And then he says the covenants... Uh, the word covenant here has the idea of legally binding promises or contracts. Um, we just look at one, one here, Genesis 12. This is the calling of Abraham. Uh, he, these are all blessings that the Jews received that no other nations uh, received. And I'll close with this, uh, Genesis 12. Now the Lord has said to Abraham, get you out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those that bless you and curse him who curses you. 
and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this was the covenant that God made with Abraham, and there's other covenants uh, we'll look at uh, last week or next week. So we're out of time. I just have a second if you have any comments or questions. If not, feel free to make sure you see me afterwards. Any final thoughts? Okay, well, Lord willing, we'll pick this up next week and continue our study through Romans 9.